Hey, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome all of you here today. Whether you're in the room or you're watching online, it's great to have you with us. And I have to say, man, this is an exciting time around here. There are so many good things happening. A lot of you are involved in our kingdom challenges, and it's going to be great to see what God does through that. Uh, David mentioned those mission trips coming next year, but at the end of this week, the International Conference on Missions is coming to Columbus, and in case you haven't heard, there's a group from Plum Creek taking a charter bus up to ICOM for a day trip this Saturday. And if you're interested in going, we do have some seats available, and you can go to plumcreek.org slash ICOM to sign up there. But man, the list goes on and on. We've got Discover next week, middle school and high school retreats coming soon, father-son camp out, and then it won't be long before we're talking about Christmas. And I got to tell you, December at Plum Creek is going to be amazing. I can't wait to tell you about it. Today, though, I'll just give you two words, live camel. I'll let you draw your own conclusions from there. Uh, but let's be praying that God would use all these opportunities to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And let's keep praying that God would use us for the work of his kingdom. All right, so we are in the fourth and final week of our sermon series called No Matter What. And in this series, we've been walking through just one chapter of the Bible, the Gospel of John, chapter 16. And if you've been around the last few weeks, you know what's going on in this chapter. It's the night before Jesus goes to the cross, just a, a few hours before the chaos begins, a, a few hours before the agony begins. But while things are still quiet, Jesus gives the disciples a farewell address. He wants to prepare them for the hard times that are just about to come. And as we've read this chapter, we've heard Jesus say some very encouraging things. But today is the big conclusion. And I don't know if you're the kind of person who likes to skip ahead to the end of the book and see what happens, but we're going to start today by reading the last verse of John 16. Right here, uh, Jesus brings this big talk to a close. John 16, 33, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now for me personally, I, I have a list of my favorite verses in the Bible, and, and this one has to make it somewhere on the list. There, there's just so much hope in these words. If you belong to Jesus, no matter what happens, he's got it covered. Because he has overcome the world. And that's a very important truth for us to know because we're human. And we don't have what it takes to overcome the world. Sometimes life throws you a curveball and you can't dodge it. Sometimes life puts obstacles in your path and you can't get around them. So we're going to take this verse and apply it to our lives this morning. And to do that, I want to start with kind of a spiritual checkup. I want to know how you are doing right now. And to help with this spiritual checkup, I invented a little something that I'm kind of proud of. It's a device called the Lifeometer. Now, I want to explain this invention. The Lifeometer is basically a highly advanced version of a mood ring. 
Anybody remember mood rings? Uh, from what I heard, they were super popular in the 70s, then they made kind of a comeback in the 90s. But I'm an 80s kid, and I never got into mood rings. But back to the lifeometer, the purpose of this invention is just to see how you're doing. How is this world treating you? What is your mental, emotional, and spiritual state? Now, if your reading is up at the top there in that green section, you are in a very good place. But if you're down in that dark, murky section at the bottom, you're not doing well. So let's get a result on the lifeometer. And to do that, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to give you six different words, and I want you to choose which word best describes you as of today. So pretty simple. Ready? Here we go. As of today, which word best describes you? The first one is overjoyed. You're, you're at the top of the chart here. This, this might mean you just got married, or maybe you just had a baby. Maybe you just won the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. If, if you're under 30 and you haven't heard of the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes and you haven't heard about a guy named Ed McMahon, just ask one of us old people and we'd be glad to fill you in. But here's the second word. In your life right now, would you say you are over, overachieving? Maybe you're just killing it at work or at school. Or maybe you have this growing list of impressive achievements and people really look up to you. They admire you. Okay, here's the third one. Are you overcommitted? Now, this word on the lifeometer is next to the color yellow, but if you're overcommitted, you're actually running in the red. Your schedule is packed out. And it's hard to know if your current pace is sustainable because you don't have time to stop and think about it. Okay, here's the fourth word. As of today, would you say that you're overthinking? Now, if you're here, that means you've encountered some problems that are difficult to solve, and you just think about them over and over again. Maybe you're starting to lose some sleep over these problems. You're starting to see signs that the stress is getting to you. Okay, just a couple more. We're making our way down the lifeometer. With this next one, would you say that you're overwhelmed right now? If this is you, you're not in a good place. You're sinking. Maybe you're struggling with some of the problems that we've mentioned in this series, like anxiety, depression, family problems, grief, addiction. You know, people like to say, you got this. But if you're here, you know you don't got this. Okay, one last word, and, and this one is ugly. With this option, would you describe yourself as overcome? That's it. You're done. You feel like a city that has been conquered by an enemy. Life has gotten the best of you. Now, I sincerely hope that you wouldn't choose that last option, but let's just be honest here. Which of these words, as of today, best describes you? Have you made your choice? I won't ask you to share that with everyone, but before we leave the lifeometer, I do want to give you one bonus option, and it's a good one. In your life right now, could you honestly say, actually, I'm overcoming? That's my word. 
all the way up and down the scale. That word applies to everything. On the bottom end of the spectrum, I'm overcoming life's trials and tribulations. And then at the top of the spectrum, I'm also overcoming the pitfalls that go along with success or pleasure or pride. You know, it would be great if we could all choose this word. But I know better than that because, like I said, we're human and we don't have what it takes to overcome the world. So where does that lead, leave us? Are we destined to just slide up and down the lifeometer until one day we finally end up at the bottom once and for all? Actually, no. That's not what God wants for us. We see what God wants for us in Scripture. And we do see that Jesus has overcome the world. That's absolutely true. But we also see in God's Word, that His victory can become our victory. Look at 1 John 5, 5. That verse says, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, what do you see in this verse? I, I've got two takeaways to mention. First, there's a limitation here. Not everyone overcomes the world. If you want to be an overcomer, You've got to be someone who puts your faith in Jesus. Second, I see that we're not going to do it on our own. We need help if we're going to overcome the world. And you may know that intellectually, but let's take a moment and, and let this sink in. Let's go back to the lifeometer. What, what if you're way up at the top? What, what if you're overjoyed? Well, if, if that's you, I'm, I'm genuinely happy for you, but you've you got to know that you can't stay at the mountaintop forever. Nobody does that. A, a wedding is great, but marriage eventually gets hard. Babies are great, but parenting eventually gets hard. And I hate to tell you this, but your sweepstakes money will eventually run out. So don't expect to stay up in the green. Well, what if you're overachieving? If so, that's great too, but success never lasts. I've got some evidence to show that here. I've got a chart that shows the stock price of Zoom over the last couple of years. And you know what's happening here, right? Back before COVID, many of us hadn't even heard of Zoom. But then we went into lockdown and we were all Zooming. And what happened to the stock price? Man, it skyrocketed. That performance was phenomenal. But guess what? We didn't stay in lockdown forever. See what happened next? Man, that stock price tanked. And this is a pattern that plays out over and over again throughout history. Every person, every business, every nation, they may reach a high point, but eventually, they head back down. So this is not your path to overcoming. Success is not the way to get there. Well, what if you're overcommitted? Well, if your schedule is packed out, you're either allowing your calendar to control you or you're searching for significance through busyness. Either way, if you keep running in the red, you are headed for burnout. So what if you're someone who's trapped in that cycle of overthinking? Well, if that's where you are, you are learning that 
Some problems are too difficult to solve. Some of them are just beyond us. And, and thinking, trying to come up with a solution, it doesn't work. Now, if you're overwhelmed, you're in desperate need of help. You know that you, you don't have what it takes on your own to get through life. And then if you've been overcome, something in you has died and you need to be brought back to life. And everybody knows you can't bring yourself back to life. So what is the point of all this? Well, there's a lesson that we tend to forget. Even if we've known it in the past, we tend to forget it. Don't believe that you can work your way out of your troubles. You can't overcome this world by chasing after a good feeling or pursuing success or running yourself ragged or trying to think your way out of a box or, or trying to keep your head above water or grasping for hope when you've run out of hope. We just can't do this on our own. We don't got this. That's horrible English, but it's true. We need to move from overthinking to overcoming. And we know how to do that, don't we? Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So that's the big picture. But let's go back to John 16 and see how this plays out in the lives of the disciples. And we're going to read the end of this chapter, John 16, verses 25 to 33. And before we do that, let's remember a little background. At this point, Jesus and the disciples have been together for about three years. And throughout those three years, Jesus kept hinting at the fact that he was going to be killed. But all through that time, the disciples just didn't understand what he meant by that prediction. They, they never could have dreamed that Jesus would die this horrific death on the cross and that he would do that by choice. He would sacrifice his life willingly, and it was all part of God's plan. They also didn't understand the immense grief and pain and suffering that was headed their way very soon. Eventually, they would understand, but not until after the resurrection. We saw that last week when we read John 2.22. That's where John says, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. But over in John 16, the disciples aren't there yet. We've got high levels of cluelessness here. So it's Thursday night. Tomorrow is Good Friday. The nightmare is about to begin. And Jesus gives the disciples these instructions. He's, he's like a coach in the locker room, getting the players ready to take the field. So Jesus looks at the disciples, and as we've seen over the last few weeks, he says something like this. He says, very soon... I'm going to leave. You will be left behind. And trouble is coming. Trouble like you wouldn't believe. But don't lose hope. Because no matter what happens, it's going to be all right. You will see me again, and your sorrow will turn into joy. And by the way, I won't leave you alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to help you. So that's what he's been saying. But could the disciples process all of this? Of course not. Jesus knows that later on they'll remember what he said, so he wraps up this talk with a few words of encouragement. So let's read John 16, starting with verse 25. Jesus says, 
Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. So this is good news, right? Jesus says, hey guys, (laughs) very soon you're going to see things clearly. You're going to understand. You won't be so confused. I'm I'm going to explain things and, and you'll get it. But hold on. If Jesus is about to leave, how could that be true? Well, we've got a few things going on here. For one, there's going to be that period between the resurrection and the time he ascends into heaven. He can speak to them clearly during that time. And also, don't forget that the Holy Spirit is coming. Two weeks ago, we said the Holy Spirit is like a tour guide. This is God himself living inside of you, and the Spirit guides you into the truth. So Jesus will speak through the Spirit as well. But then there's one more factor. After the resurrection... The disciples will have access to God the Father like never before. That's what he's saying here. See, this is what Jesus accomplished on the cross, not just for the disciples, but for all of us too. All of us sinned against God. And when we sinned, a chasm opened up between us and God. That relationship was broken. But then Jesus died on the cross He paid the penalty for our sins, and he made it possible for our relationship with God to be restored. When you accept the gift of salvation, surrender your life to Jesus, that chasm is closed, and you have direct access to the Father. You don't need to go through a priest. You can go directly to him. He will hear you, and he will answer your prayers directly. It's an amazing thing. How did the disciples respond to what Jesus said here? Well, it's interesting. Verse 29. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Now, if you ask me, this is kind of funny. The disciples are like, Wow, Jesus, you're finally speaking clearly. But he's only been saying the same things that he said all throughout this farewell address. And the reality is the disciples still don't understand as much as they think they do. Look at the very next verse. Jesus replied, do you now believe? I kind of picture him with one raised eyebrow there. Uh, Then Jesus sets him straight. He says, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. And you will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Jesus is skeptical of the disciples, and rightly so. They are overconfident. They haven't even left the locker room yet. They haven't hit the field. They don't know the trials and tribulations that lay ahead. But Jesus knows. He knows that within the next 24 hours... Almost all of those disciples will fail him. Peter will deny him three times. The rest of the disciples will abandon Jesus during the crucifixion with the exception of John. So you can see that Jesus here is 
sad and disappointed because in his hour of greatest need, his friends will let him down. But that's all right. Because his friends are not his primary source of strength. His strength comes from his heavenly Father. The strength that he gets from the Father will enable him to endure the crucifixion. That strength will enable him to rise again from the dead. Jesus knows the agony is coming, but he also knows the victory is coming. And that's what takes us to John 16, 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Again, I love this verse. Jesus offers peace in the midst of trouble. And that's a good thing, because trouble certainly came for the disciples. Just a few hours after he spoke these words, the disciples witnessed the trauma and the terror of the crucifixion. On Friday night and Saturday, after Jesus died, I'm, I'm sure the disciples were in shock. I'm sure they, they weren't remembering much of that farewell address because they were just reeling at that point. But Sunday morning came. Jesus did rise again, and the disciples got hit with a joy bomb like the world had never seen. Unfortunately, though, the resurrection was not the end of their troubles. In the coming years, the disciples would be scattered and arrested, thrown out of synagogues, and the majority of them would become martyrs for their faith. They'd be executed. However, they never made it down to the bottom of the lifeometer. And why is that? They were not overcome by the world because they knew the one who overcame the world. And they remembered those words. They remembered what Jesus said. How do we know they remembered? Well, you got your proof right here. John wrote down those words in his gospel. I love to imagine the disciples going back and forth, reminding each other what Jesus said. I love to think about John going to his brother James and saying, listen, bro, don't forget, don't forget what Jesus told us. He said we'd have trouble. This is no surprise. But he also said he overcame the world. How, how encouraging would that be? That's where their peace came from. And the good news is that same peace is available to us. So let's bring John 16, 33 into the present. How does this work in our lives? Well, let's read it one more time. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, let's, let's define a couple words here. When Jesus says, I have overcome the world, what exactly does that mean? Well, many of you know the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And this word overcome, it's translated from the Greek word nekao. Nakao means to conquer or to win a victory as in a contest or a military conflict. And just a side note here, uh, the word nakao is related to a Roman goddess. And you know what this Roman goddess's name is? Her name is Nike. So the word Nike means victory. I just thought that was cool. So uh, Jesus came as a general. And he conquered this world. But that's another word we need to define. What exactly did he conquer? 
Where, well, the word world comes from a Greek word, cosmos. And that's a word we're familiar with, isn't it? And in the Bible, cosmos can refer to the physical world, either planet Earth or the entire universe. But here, especially in the Gospel of John, cosmos often refers to powers and authorities that are opposed to God. So what kind of cosmos did Jesus conquer? Well, at the end of the day, Jesus overcame both physical and spiritual enemies of every kind. He claims victory over everything. And when Jesus is on your side, it doesn't matter who's against you. Your enemies are going to lose. That's why it's so important to know that Jesus is on your side. He wants that to be true. He wants to be on the same side with you. But if you haven't given your life to him, you have chosen to be an enemy of God. And if you are an enemy of God, you are by definition on the losing side. So man, if if you haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus, don't wait. Do that today. But for all of us who do belong to Jesus, let's think about what this verse means. We know that Jesus has overcome the world, but how does that show up in our lives? Well, I want to use Scripture here. I want to make a a list of specific things that Jesus has overcome, and then I'll give you a verse that supports each one. First, Jesus has overcome anxiety and worry. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Now, does that mean we won't be anxious or worried anymore? Of course not. But it does mean that you have an open invitation to give your anxiety to God because He loves you and His shoulders are big enough to carry all your worries and all your fears. Second, Jesus has overcome hatred and persecution. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, Who can be against us? I said this a second ago. When Jesus is on your side, it doesn't matter who's against you. No enemy can defeat God, and that includes any of your personal enemies. Third, Jesus has overcome sin and temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, if we're going to resist temptation, especially in in the area that is our our biggest challenge, we need help. We need the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. We need the support that comes from our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, And sometimes we need professional help, and that's okay. The point is, there's always a way out. If you look to Jesus, He will help you conquer sin and temptation. All right, number four, Jesus has overcome the spiritual forces of evil. 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The victory has already been won. The, the, the devil has been defeated. That battle is over, and it's only a matter of time before he is completely destroyed. So, if you belong to Jesus, the devil has no power over you. All right, Jesus also overcame sorrow and grief and death. 1 Corinthians 15, 
I have read this passage at more funerals than I can count. It says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection proved that Jesus has ultimate power over death. Because of that, we can stare death in the face and laugh. And we can look forward to a great reunion with other followers of Jesus. We can look forward to an eternity in the presence of our great God. And there's no better hope than that. All right, one last one. Uh, if you belong to Jesus, you should know that Jesus has also overcome literally everything else. For this one, I, I can't think of a better passage than Romans 8, verses 38 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's another one on my list. <laughs> Now, I realize I just gave you a lot of Scripture in a short amount of time, but I wanted you to see that we can find encouragement and strength and hope all over God's Word. And this is not an empty hope. Why? Because Jesus overcame the world. And before we wrap this up, I need to repeat something that I've said many times before. Followers of Jesus are not exempt from suffering. He didn't promise to erase all of those troubles on the list, but he also didn't leave us helpless. A theologian named Don Miller said, we are not saved from trouble. We're saved in trouble while we go through the fire. You know, the disciples didn't get to skip all the troubles they faced in their lifetime, but guess what? Where are they now? We can be confident that, except for Judas, those original disciples are with Jesus in this moment. And if, if they could look back at their time on earth here, what do you think they would say from where they are? Well, for one thing, I'm, I'm not sure that they would be very interested in looking back at, at their time here because when you are in the presence of Christ, everything here would just pale in comparison. But if they did have something to say about their earthly life, I'm sure they would confirm what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul said, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Light and momentary? Man, from our vantage point, that may be hard to imagine. But from the perspective of eternity, it's absolutely true. Something that seems unbearable here is hardly a memory there. And when that's your perspective, when you trust in Jesus to win your battles, and when you believe that he's working everything together for, for good, you will ultimately overcome this world. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to close with a quote from a guy named Rich Mullins. If you're not familiar with Rich, he was 
us. He was a musician, and he had a profound impact on a lot of people. His music meant a lot to me. Last month marked 25 years since Rich died tragically in a car accident. But this week I saw something that Rich said, and it really resonated with me. He said, we got a little while to go yet in this life, and it's a scary thing, but don't be afraid. Be of good cheer. He has overcome the world, and he has chosen to dwell within us. And we ain't all that big a deal, but our Savior is. He will walk with us through this life, and when it's over, he will raise us up again and take us to be where he is. Not because of what we've done, but because of who he is, because of the love he has for us. So go and live in that awareness. Love one another. Read your Bible. Wash your dishes. Make your bed. And don't be afraid. That's a powerful quote for me because it points us to Jesus, to his faithfulness, to his promises, to the fact that he has overcome the world. And when we're connected with Jesus, we can get through today and the next day and every other day until the end of this life. And you know what I need? You know what helps me stay connected to Jesus? When I'm on the verge of being overwhelmed or overcome, I need someone to pray for me in the name of Jesus. I need someone who will go to God and ask Him to help me overcome. And since we've got this time here today, I want to take advantage of this opportunity and spend some time together in prayer. So first, I'm going to pray, and then I'll give you some instructions, and we'll pray together. Father, I thank you for your word and the strength and encouragement and hope that we find there. And I thank you for the words of Jesus and the truth of those words. We see that in the disciples and, and we also see it today. So Lord, I, I call on you to help us overcome in the way that Jesus overcame. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
is a follower of Jesus.